Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to come before your throne. We will find mercy and we will find grace to help us in a time of need. And we honor you and we love you. We thank you for this day that you've made for us to rejoice and be glad in. So we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen and praise God. Amen. So I want to give a shout out to our friends on the internet. Our friend, uh, amen, our friend Shannon Gibbons asked for a shout out. So uh, we're giving him one, but you better come to church. How's that sound? <laughs> shout out and an admonition. Amen. We know there's some people, well, he says he's, his work is picked up. He's working very hard. And uh, so, amen. But we using our faith to pry him away from there. Amen. Never tell watchmen that you can't get to church. Uh, but anyway, we, we won't go there particularly, but I thought today we talk about the fact that how you judge God makes all the difference. How you judge him is what makes the difference. Amen. How you judge God makes all the difference. You know, when we know that it's faith that does the work, but faith works by love. Faith needs some helpers. Uh, we've, we're finding that out every day that we live. We're finding out that you can't cheat and just say, I believe God and I'm expecting everything to happen right in my life. You know, faith works by love. Uh, faith, uh, needs helpers, virtue, amen, knowledge, understanding, wisdom, all of those things, uh, we need to add to our faith. And so we find that God wants us to live a spiritual life. He wants us to live with him in the realm of the spirit so that our lives can be what he wants them to be. Not so much what we want, because what we want changes. You know, there's some people that, that, you know, Adam knew it wasn't good for him to be alone. But after a while, he said, that woman you gave me, she made me mess up. Amen. So, amen. Am I, am I sounding right around here? See, and and we want something one minute and the next minute, huh? Yeah. When when God brought um the woman to the man, he it was all ooh wee. Am I right, Poppy? He's ready to marry her right on the spot. Now that had to be God. Amen. Men don't just marry you on the spot. Somebody finally heard me. God had to have talked to that brother. Well, I'm not going to park there. I got other, I have bigger fish to fry. But, uh, yeah, he jumped up and wanted to marry her first. And she didn't have no clothes on. Oh, Poppy, did I say that? I did. Oh, did I say that? I mean to say that. Did I mean to say that? I guess I meant to say that. If the first thing he thought about was commitment, you understand what I'm saying? It had to be God. It had to be nothing but God. And so when you, where, where am I going with this? I got, I got down the street somewhere and I can't back up, can't turn around. <laughs> Amen. 
But anyway, <laughs> we're talking about judging God faithful. That's what we're talking about. Amen. And it, of course, alludes to Hebrews 11.11. Then <clears throat> we'll go there and we'll read there for a minute. God is so faithful. We say that. Sometimes we don't want it to be tested and proven. I can always say this. Whenever God puts something to test, it gets proven. So don't ever be afraid of the testings of God because he's out to prove something to you. Amen. Not out to wreck your life. He's not out to, you know, you can come into some revelations about yourself through the testing. And that's always good. That'll keep you off Facebook calling yourself a queen. Because he doesn't test us on whether or not we can fit into a crown. Amen. Just saying. It says here in Hebrews 11, verse 11, Through faith also Sarah herself received strength. So you always get stronger when you use your faith. Amen. She received strength or she received power to conceive seed and was delivered. She didn't miscarry. Nobody told her, gave her ultrasound and told her the baby was going to have any kind of defects or deformities. She conceived and delivered. Amen. When she was past age. Why? Because she judged him faithful who had promised. She judged God faithful. See, we always want things to happen fast and while we're young enough. We think it's easy to believe God at certain, when certain things are right in life. You know what I'm saying? It's easy. You know, if you, you got plenty of money, it's easy to believe him for a new car and pay cash for it because you got the money sitting there. You know, when you, when you're young, it's easy to believe him for children because you're physically capable or uh, I would say it's easier. But oftentimes as years go by, we kind of start to falter and waver. Why? Because we forget it depends on God's faithfulness. If he's promised you something, he's not going to renege on his promise. And it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter the time in your life. None of that matters to God if he's promised you something. Many times we want what we want and we overlook God in the process. We don't care if we get a promise for him or not. We're just after the things we want in life. Amen. But when you live in covenant with God, he's not looking at all that stuff. So there's something God is doing in the passage of time that we're not really aware of. We don't really consider that. We don't really understand that that's very important to God. If he if he delays something that you think you're supposed to have right now, you know, while you're young or whatever, it's because he's after something else other than giving you what you want. He's after something else. And I think it's that something else that kind of stumps us and, and, you know, gets us off track or we don't want to think about what else he could be after. Well, I'm saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost, five baptized. But he's after something. 
something. He's after something. And so we're going to look at Abraham and Sarah and how they lived with God and how they lived for God to understand what was it God was after, what was it God was promising, how important is it to God that you receive the things that he's promised you. You're going to look at all of that as much as we can. So it says she judged him faithful and she received. Amen. Now, how is it that we can judge God? We do it all the time. If you don't know him, you don't have much to go on. But he's given you 66 books of information and testimony. So we have plenty to go on if we'll go after it. Amen. And and it's very important that we judge God accurately according to uh, what he presents to us and what we need to sum up and know about him. So it says here, um, this is after 25 years of walking with God. So Hebrews 11.11 takes place 25 years after Genesis 12. And that's where God introduces himself. To Abram. Abram is uh, a heathen man. He's living in a a place in the Chaldees that's uh, far away from where God's going to eventually bring him. But Sarah and Abram have enough time now to observe something about God. One thing that testing brings into our life is experience. See, you don't have experience with God without being tested on what you know. You won't get experience without testing, folks. You you can't just sit up and read until you get tested and have to walk through some of this stuff. This is just Bible stories that we like to most of us. Amen. Amen. And so it's through testing that we experience God. And then experience breeds hope in us that once we understand what God's done this time, we have hope for him to do other things. And God knows exactly when to schedule the test. He knows exactly how to help us through it. And he always helps us through it. He never leaves us, never forsakes us. He walks through the testing with us. And he counsels us, helps us, directs us, and guides us through the test. He's guaranteeing our success by being right there with us in it. Amen. And so, above all things, God wants us to be blessed. He wants us to be successful. He wants us to be um, make progress to have joy, have all the things that we desire. He did all of this for us, but he knows that we won't be successful without his help. And so he's there to complete the covenant and help us at at every juncture. So in Genesis chapter 12, uh, one of the things that I saw here in this chapter was they experienced, Abraham and Sarah experienced God's love and care. and. I believe that's one of the first things that God brings into us. He gives us a knowledge. The scripture that we use to lead people to the Lord speaks about love as God's motivation. John 3.16 For God so loved the world. And so the first thing that we observe about God is his love. 
His love comes to us by way of forgiveness. We, we, we get introduced to God. And if we're, we're preached the gospel accurately, amen, then we will hear what God, what God's terms of his covenant are. And really, my, my concern with people who share Christ with others is they don't really get people to understand that this life means you have to turn away from your old life. Now, that may seem real oversimplified, but it's shocking how many people think they know God, but they never repented of their sins, turned their backs on the old life, and seen enough loving God to draw them to him. See? And so when when we understand that, we'll understand why we've got mega churches with many people, M-I-N-I people. Huh? You got mega churches. Many of the people have never really confessed Christ. Because they're never introduced to him. They they talk about him, talk around him, but never take him right into the front door of a person's heart to let him knock on that door. See, it's up to the church to do that. Just a very simple, whatever God puts on your heart to share with people, it's a very simple share. Amen? And and the most important thing is is if you know people, that you live for God around them. Amen? And that you not be ashamed of of the fact that God bought you and he loves you and you never waver. So then there's a, 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 I would say, a responsibility on the part of the church, you know, as believers, to make sure we live for God so that people know that there's something worth living for because they see it through us. Amen? And so when when you understand that, then you can present Jesus Christ alive and living to people and they can receive him as Savior and Lord. There are many people that have heard, know, yeah, he's the Savior of the world, but is he your personal Savior? And so it's from that jumping point that we understand the love of God. See, when you come face to face with your sin and your inability to do anything about your past, you know, most people, by the time they confess Christ, they've tried so many times. Oh, I'm going to go back to church. You feel guilt. I'm going to go back to church. I'm going to go. You keep going back, going back, going back. But you keep going back the same old way. And so when that change comes about, that born again experience where he comes to, you don't have to tell yourself, I'm going to go to church. You go. You're not trying to convince yourself to go. You go. Amen. No wavering. No, no, uh, second thoughts, nothing like that. You just take off and go. And wild horses can't keep you away. So until people demonstrate that, there's no evidence, you know, of, of turning away. And so those people need prayer. You know, if they're relatives and loved ones, you pray for them. God open their eyes, send labors. If I'm not the one that's gonna convince them that you're real, send somebody. Amen. It just, it's just that simple. But you want them saved. You want them born again. Amen. You just, it's just a desire that you have when you're saved. You have a desire for other people to be saved. There's no two ways about it. And so no exceptions. And so God wants us 
to understand that the first thing he demonstrates is his love and care. Genesis chapter 12, you've turned there in verses 1 through 3, it shows you that God showed this to Abram as the head of the household. 12 verse 1, now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country and from your kindred and from your father's house unto a land that I will show you. So he saw nothing. He was not promised anything except to leave. And if you trust me and you go, you'll get there. Amen. And this is what we receive when we receive Christ. God promises us a better life. Amen. He Because the minute your sins are forgiven, you're automatically in a better life than you had when you were under the eternal death sentence of your sin. So God begins to love and care for us the minute that we say yes to him. So Abram then has to give something up, the old life, and God gives him a better life by way of a promise. And that's the same thing you and I got when we were saved. We got a new life based on a promise of a better life. And you had to do what? Leave everything and follow him. Jesus said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It's the same thing, Abraham. Same deal. The deal has not changed, folks. It's the same thing. But in exchange, you get the love and care of God. So when you read Abraham, you can look at what God will do for you. See, God will do this for everybody. If you leave your sin, your old friends, just take some steps out of that and allow God to shut the door on that old life and spend that time seeking how to follow him. Which way do I go? Well, Abraham just left. Amen. He just stepped out and left. And I think that's what God is looking for all people to do. Just step out and leave. You've already said you don't want that life anymore. Don't sit up and long for that. Don't sit up and, and, and uh, daydream about old boyfriends that don't want you no more. Oh, man. Poppy, Poppy, help me out. Is that right or is that not right? Because God took the want out of them if they ever did want you. Mm -hmm. He killed the want in them old boyfriends. Huh? You getting all offended and upset. He act like he don't want me around. He being more obedient to God than you are. Just checking to see who's here. Roll call. Everybody present accounted for. Say amen. That's right. So quit daydreaming about it. Go get in your word. Daydream about Jesus. The author and the finisher of your faith. Huh? Sitting up wishing you run into somebody. I'd rather stick my head in the lion's, well, buzzsaw. I put, I say buzzsaw. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Whee!
So he told you to, he told Abram to leave, okay? Just take whatever you can take and go. And he says, if you do that, I'll make you somebody. If you leave who you are, I'll make you somebody. If you're a Hollywood star, if you leave where you are, I'll make you somebody. If you're a billionaire, if you leave where you are, I'll make you somebody. Whoever you are, if you leave where you are, God will make you somebody. Amen. You always trade in the lesser for the greater. Doesn't make any difference what you have. God can top that. You think he let the devil underbid him for your soul or overbid him for your soul? You're not going to get more from the devil than you ever get from God. And he says this. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. How greater name can you have than to be in the Bible? (laughs) I'll make your name great. And I will bless you. You know, the greatest place where your name is is where Lamb's Book of Life, right? That's where the great name is for you. He says, and I'm going to take care of you. Okay. That's what verse three really means. Bless them that bless you. Curse them that curse you. Whatever somebody does to you, I'm going to do to them. Because I'm in charge of your life now. You belong to me. And this is how I take care of my people. He says, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So what can you do after hearing all that? You go. It says, so Abraham departed as the Lord had spoken to him and lot with with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he left out of Haran. And he took Sarah, his wife, Lot, his nephew, and everything that they had. The souls that they had gotten there, which means there's some servants that went with them, etc. So Abraham was already uh, what we can say pretty well off, but God topped it. See, for some of us, God comes to us at when we're broken, poor, and you know what I'm saying. When He comes is when He comes. Even if you're broke, poor, and, and bereft, you're leaving something. Amen. You're giving something up. It doesn't matter how much you have. The difficulty it is to leave the old life. Amen. It just is a departure. There's something that you're going to, you're, you're at a, a risk in a sense of getting out there and finding out that it's not what you thought it was going to be. Amen. And sometimes you'll feel like that. Man, this serving God, this is a tough thing right here. This I didn't have all of this in mind, <laughs> you know. Because I got saved and everybody was dancing around happy for me. I was happy and now the devils have showed up and tried to tell me I made a mistake. <laughs> or start knocking me upside my head. Amen. He was doing it all along. He just had a velvet hammer in the world. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> he was hitting you, but you wasn't feeling it too tough. Amen. But the punishment's still the same for serving him. So now you're out of penalty and you're out of punishment. You're under God's love and care. So this was one of the first things that they experienced in God. When Abraham, in in, in verse 8, it says, And he removed from there unto the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent 
having Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Abraham accepts God's terms. And he builds an altar to God because that's how you accepted God. You've staked your claim as a follower of Christ and you worshiped him. Amen. You built an altar and you worshiped him. So by building that altar, Abram commits himself to continue to seek God and follow God. No altar, no worship, no following. I must say it again. No altar, no worship, no following. As a worshiper, if you've dedicated yourself to God, he's the only one you worship. Amen? You don't worship knowledge. You don't worship, you know, your favorite preacher on the Internet. Huh? You worship God. You set up your altar to worship him. Amen? Your altar can be any way. It should be in your heart. Amen? There should be a place in your heart where only God can reside. And you let him administer his life through you from that altar worship. You could be like Mary and and just get excited on the inside. Her soul magnified the Lord. Amen. She began to understand in every portion of her how big God was, how great he was, how merciful he was, what he was doing, not just in her life, but affecting the whole earth and what he did. So here Abram meets the God of the whole earth because he's promised him the whole earth. He says, in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So Abraham is being promised the whole world right here. That's how God makes his name great. He's doing, he's not only doing great things for God, but he's God's man in the earth now. He's somebody who has covenant with God. He's the one God's going to contact about anything to do with humanity in the earth. So, so Abram is sets out and in, in verse 12, we see a little twist on it. At verse, uh, verse 10, there was a famine in the land and Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there. He wasn't, he wasn't planning to stay, but he's a survivor. He hasn't really heard, I don't think, it doesn't record that he heard any instructions from God to the contrary, not to go to Egypt. So he goes. He goes to survive. And it says here, and because the famine was grievous in the land, and it came to pass when he was come near unto Egypt that he said to Sarah, his wife, now look, girl, I know that you're a nice looking woman. Now she's like 65 years old. All right. And he says, therefore it'll come to pass when the Egyptians see you that they will say, this is his wife and they'll kill me to get you. Apparently Abram don't know who she is. See, the way people lived back then, they didn't have the law of Moses to tell them that the wife was was one with them. Amen. And God honored her. And you can't have more than one. 
Amen. So Abram's kind of in the dark. He's carrying with him some of that old attitude from his old land that he came from. So the first test God's going to put him to is to get rid of that old attitude about the wife, who she is, who she belongs to, what this is all about. So apparently Abram has played this game before. And see, in his eyes, the wife is expendable. In other words, I got to live. And if it means somebody going to kill me to get her, we going to play this game. Amen. And so he said, if the Egyptians see you, they'll kill me and take her. He says, so please tell people when they ask you, tell them you're my sister and that way I'll live. And Sarah's kind of thinking to herself, what for? <laughs> I just put that in there. I just, y'all pardon me, my little, you know, I just, you know. Huh? And all the worthy women said, amen. Because what you need a man for if he ain't going to protect you. But see, he didn't know his role at that time. He can play ignorant because he don't know God. He just meeting God. You know, I'm just meeting God, y'all. I don't know all that stuff I'm supposed to know. But he's a survivor. And he sees himself only surviving. Amen. Not both of them surviving. But they do have a covenant with God. So that covenant now is being tested. They've gotten out from under the the sure or the certain protection of God. And now that covenant and their faith in God is being tested. And so he says, and, and it'll be well with me for your sake. And my soul will live because of you. In other words, you can do me a favor and cause me to live. It don't matter how many men you get passed around to. Now, see, that's kind of like an abominable thought to all of us because we're under God's new covenant. See, that's that's a horrible thing to think about. But there are people in the earth that live like that. You understand what I'm saying? And he says, he, he says, um, when Abram was come down to Egypt, verse 14, sure enough, the Egyptians looked at her that she's very beautiful. Word got around up to Pharaoh, the ruler, and he invited her in. And it says in verse 16, and he entreated Abram well for her sake. In other words, this is your sister. We like her. We're going to buy her from you. Entreated. That means honored him, paid him. Paid him very well. And they gave him sheep, oxen, asses, men servants, maid servants, all this stuff. That came from Egypt. He already had some stuff. He went to Egypt and got most stuff. Amen. And immediately, guess who steps in? Huh? See, they've got a covenant with God. By following God and worshiping him, they have a covenant. Back in that day, that's all that was necessary. For most of us, we don't do that much. Hmm? 
you know, people go through the motions of worship. If it ain't real sweaty and jumping up and down and they favorite song, they don't even move. I'm waiting for my song. Huh? That ain't worship. <laughs> That's what we did at the pay parties in everybody's basement. Remember that? They ain't paid my song yet. I paid 50 cent to get in here down in this moldy basement. Yeah. Just a thought. What's the difference? I ain't go there today. I'm just going to leave that place. I'm going to park my other car there. Amen. I got so many cars parked down the alley, you know. So he plagued Pharaoh's house. With great plagues. Great. You know what a great plague is? It's something everybody gets and they can't mistake they did something wrong. See, the people there lived in an awareness that there was a God somewhere or many gods somewhere that ran everything. So Pharaoh could easily call on his seers, his his magicians, those who could tell the times and, and can understand, they they didn't know God, but they understood when they bumped into him. Huh? Didn't uh, when when Moses went back to Egypt many years later to challenge Pharaoh, and God had him do the same. That when God told Moses to do something that was a miracle. The, the Egyptian seers, magicians did it through magic. Same thing. Till so they got finally to one, one, um, one, a sign that Moses did and they can duplicate it and they said, what? This is God. Now the other stuff we wasn't so sure about. Which when you think about it, even though God instructed Moses to do it, Moses was fresh out of Egypt himself. He might have been still using his same old powers. Don't tell me you ain't done it. Until God shows up. Huh? Robbing Peter Paypal. Manipulating, lying to people about where, why your bill is late. Leave another car down the alley. Huh? Until you finally straighten up. And you start trusting God, but for real though. Huh? So Moses finally gets stripped out of that, all that old Egyptian power. The Bible says he was mighty in word and deed and skilled in the ways of the Egyptians. He was being groomed as a magician in Pharaoh's court. He left it all. God had to clean that out of him. But trust me, gypsies and all them people know when they run into God. Absolutely. Because they run into a power that's not familiar to them, that they can't manipulate. And so the Pharaohs knew this. They said, something's wrong here. It's got, who's the last woman we brought in here? It's got to be her. See, so they go and drag Abram in there, verse 18, Pharaoh called Abram and said, what is this that you've done to me? Why did you not tell me this was your wife? 
And why did you say she's my sister? So I might have taken her to my wife. So you know what the plague was. Everybody who knows it, say amen. All right. The plague was impotent across the whole land. Of course, that's a little bit better than losing all your firstborn. But God's pretty severe. When he wants to get your attention, he knows how to do it. You know what the buzzword was around the palace and every place else. Huh? Where's my Viagra? I just... I don't know what's wrong with me. I just, me eat my raw eggs and oysters. The raw eggs and oysters ain't going to help you if God plagued you. The only thing that's going to help you is repent and get rid of the source of the plague. And so Pharaoh commanded his man, men to according, just help them get out of town. Maybe we can repent. We can offer you restitution because your God is not satisfied. He ain't pleased with us. So we're going to try to make this right. Even sinners have enough sense how to repent. Sometimes believers don't have as much sense as sinners do. They keep piling on the nonsense. Amen. But Pharaoh seeks to make things right. And in It says, they went away, verse 20, him and his wife and all that he had, which had accumulated. Because in verse 2 of the next one, it says, Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver and gold. And I think the silver and gold were added once he got to Egypt. Because he had cattle before. Remember, it talked about it in the last chapter and didn't mention any silver or gold. So God gave him increase even in his mistake. You don't see Abram doing anything to correct his mistake. It gets corrected for him. Amen. It's like when we're new Christians, sometimes it's easy. Everybody picking on us. They keep telling me I shouldn't say this and I shouldn't say that. We're just trying to help you stay on the straight and narrow. Oh. Oh. Huh? That's all Pharaoh did for Abram. He said, man, we made a big mistake. I don't know what you thought you were doing coming down here playing this game. But if there's a God that you serve, he ain't pleased. So you stop that. So a sinner admonishes a saint, so to speak. Huh? You know, there are many people, you know, I I remember listening to somebody said they backslidden one time. They said, God didn't send any saints to retrieve me. Every sinner I talked to told me I should go back to serve God. You got me? Just a thought. Just a thought. Hadn't changed too much. So, then Abram leaves Egypt. Amen. Takes everybody with him. So, in the next, the next thing that, that they experience, so we establish that they have experienced God's love and care. They've also experienced his protection over both of them so abram now understands that god will protect me and my wife 
See, I don't have to try and set up something where only I'm preserved. But God's protection extends not over only over myself, but over my wife and over everything that I possess. And so his greatness before God is being established. See, God says, I'll make your name great. It was real big in Egypt. You got me? He may not have been able to handle all of that, but God is keeping his word. You see God keeping his word. They have increased. They have learned. They know God's protection. They know his care. They know his love. So they're growing in their understanding of who God is. It's nice if we can say the same thing. Amen. When when Abram set up that altar, what he was saying with his actions, with his faith, is God, I hear you, and I want to have a permanent relationship with you. Once you begin to be a worshiper of God, you've established a permanent relationship or desire for a permanent relationship. And after that, all God's promises are yours. So as a worshiper of God, and and you've let him into your heart, and you begin to yield to the presence and the power of God within you, you establish yourself as a worshiper of God, and everything you desire belongs to you. Everything that you can find that you can get faith in your heart for God's promises belongs to you. Healing belongs to you. Redemption belongs to you. The covenant belongs to you. Protection belongs to you. Love belongs to you and care belongs to you. All these things belong to you because you have God living inside of you. You have an altar of worship inside your heart. You can sit and meditate on the goodness of God, the things that you read in the Bible. You can begin to make those things come alive because you have an altar of worship on the inside of your heart. Let that be expressed, amen, in everything you do. Don't frustrate the grace of God. Don't stifle that. Don't don't allow that flame of God to ever go out because that's going to be your lifelong connection to him and everything that God has for you. So the, the next chapter, we see the wealth of Abram. All of the things that, that he's ever desired and his wealth begins to increase. Amen. So after Abram gets back, he, he goes back on his journey, takes up where he left off. And verse three, it says he went on his journeys from the south, even to Bethel and the place where his tent had been in the beginning between Bethel and Ai. And he progressed from here. Sometimes. The testings of God will have you backtrack a little bit. You got me? Yeah. Sometimes you'll try to step out in what you thought was faith. And you realize you've made some missteps. Then you got to go back to where you found God or where you last knew him. Amen. That's right. If, if, if you go to the last, that's something, uh, I think Brother Hagen used to tell people. If you find out you'd have made a mistake or you step out of the blessing, go back to the last place where you were blessed. Amen. And so that's what Abram does. He said, now wait a minute. I lost my footing. I never should have been in Egypt. That's pretty much established because <laughs> I had to get rescued out of that place. 
but I'm going to go back to where I found God and start listening again, start hearing again. And lot with him also. So it gets to the place where God increases them so much. So much. That they begin to run out of space to graze their cattle. Cattle are continually increasing. God's allowing expansion and increase to come. So instead of making a peaceful, you know, or or eventually they get to a peaceful parting of the ways, I think in many ways Abram knew Lot wasn't going to be too successful on his own. I don't know what Lot did while Abraham worshipped, but he should have been free to come in and worship. I would have thought so. But probably he did not. So Lot and his men separate. And it says Lot looks up and sees what looks good to him by the natural eye. See, they could have cast lots for the land. They could have sought God for direction for him. But it might have been that he may not have been too receptive. Amen. Might have been. We don't know. And so we think about it. Lot's got some growing. Abraham is committed to growth, but Lot's observing. See, Lot is observing. And so he goes on and he sees what looks nice to him, but it says up front that the place is very wicked. He looks at the land of Sodom, and that place is very, very wicked. And, and it's not God's place for him, but but it was, you know, it was that um, uh, um, he chose it and he went there. So it says in verse 11, Lot journeyed east and they separated themselves one from another. Abraham dwelled in the land of Canaan. That's where God located him. And Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched a tent toward Sodom. But the men of Sodom were very wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly, exceedingly. Abraham then separates again, moves to uh, Hebron, and and he begins to, God speaks to him again. So after he and Lot separate, God begins to get a little more closer to Abram. He begins to speak to Abram again. So they begin to realize God's expansion in this chapter. Abram makes a covenant with God. For the promised land for him and his descendants. And he builds an altar again. In verse 18, he builds an altar again and begins to worship God. And so Abraham's commitment to God gets stronger and stronger. Every place God speaks to Abram, he builds an altar and worships God there. Because he that's how you respond to God in covenant. You say, God, I want to meet with you. I love you. I trust you. And in this place, I will come and contact you so that I know which way to go. I'm still following you. I haven't given up. I'm going to continue to go your way, God. And that's what this altar and this worship actually means. In the next chapter, we see Abraham becoming a warrior and a commander of armies of people. Because he has to rescue Lot. So again, God makes his name great. He's increasing in his reputation. 
the the priest Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, meets him, and and uh, Abram offers tithe to Melchizedek. So not only does he have his own private altar, but he also honors the man of God that he knows represents God. So his understanding of God as having more people in the earth that can represent him. Abram has somebody, say, for instance, if he runs into a problem or he needs some counsel or some help, he can go now to Melchizedek to have that established. So his understanding of God is increasing. When God places you in a church or a ministry, it's the same thing as Abraham running into Melchizedek. He gets you to somebody that can help you to understand his ways in a greater fashion. Amen. You're not just out there by yourself trying to figure God out, depending upon what comes on the YouTube or television or anything like that. You know, YouTube uh, uh, sorts out Christians, too. If you're a Christian, you mention anything about sin, you probably don't get too much. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? You gotta know how to play the game and leave out certain words, and that's what most of them that really stay on there do. They stay in the safe lane. They don't get in the hard lane. You won't find a lot of mention the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They talk about God and about the word and confession and all that. They won't tell you how to get it. They take you in the back room, but they never show that. On the screen. There's a lot of stuff that's missing folks. Be thankful God gives you a place. Where you can come to worship him in person. Amen. I promise you I'll do the best I can. To do my part. Amen. That's all we do. But you want to get the full counsel of God. So Abraham now. Is beginning to get. A better connection with God. Through the priesthood. The priesthood always gives you a better connection with God. Do you hear me? It gives you a better connection. So Abraham then expands his understanding of God. So God begins to make it real to Abram that he's recognized by the priest and Melchizedek blessed Abraham. So now he's got God's blessing and it's reinforced by the blessing of God's man, God's priest, Melchizedek. And so he allows that to happen so that Abram can be established and his significance is increasing on the earth. Amen. So, so, uh, let me see. Where was that? Where are we at? We were in 13. Okay, so that was in 14 where he rescued Lot and got blessed by Melchizedek. Abraham makes it known that even though he has defeated these kings, in verse 21, it says, The king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons um, and the goods to myself. And Abraham said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand unto the Lord. In other words, I've sworn to God, the most high, possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, I'm represented by somebody higher and more powerful than you. I lifted my hand to the possessor of heaven and earth. Abraham said, I swore to God. He says, I'm not going to take anything from you. He said, I'm not going to let it be known that a man made me rich. So I don't need anything from man. 
unless God sends him here to bless me. Amen. But when the king offered that to him on his own, Abraham took it as an offense. So I don't want nothing you got. He said, I'm already covered. I'm already taken care of the God who's got way more than what you got. You think I'm going to sell out for this little bit of stuff you got? Seriously? I've already sworn an oath. And so you see here where when Abraham says, I've already lifted my hand. In other words, my hand in worship. And your worship swears an oath that you don't want anybody in your business but God. Huh? Let him handle your business. You don't need bandit unless man's going to come and bless you because God sent him there. And he'll let you know the difference. Amen. So then we have Abram again coming, coming to God in chapter 15. We begin to see God get deeper in his commitment to Abram. He gets deeper in his commitment. In chapter 15, we see uh, uh, Abraham needing clarification on what God's plans are, what to do. Now, we've all been there. You get weary, you know. At this point, it looks like he's been following him like maybe 15, close to 20 years now. And nothing's happened as far, no, I would say, 10 to 12 years. Uh, and nothing's happened so far as far as he and Sarah having any children. So it's beginning to bug Abram. Don't act like you ain't been there. Don't act like you don't go there. Don't act like you may not be there now. You got me? God, it's been a while. God, I don't know what, you know, I don't know what you're going to do, God, because we haven't had any children and we ain't getting no yo- no younger. At this point, Abraham is still, is still, is not impotent. He's potent and he's able to, to plant seed for children, but nothing's happening for him and Sarah. And, and well, I'll start in verse one. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision said, don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield and your exceeding great reward. Now, this happens before Abram even expresses any kind of doubt or fear to God. Listen, before you call, he answers. God sees you getting weak in your faith, getting ready to act up and be crazy. Huh? Getting ready to walk away because you think God won't, God didn't say that he won't do, the prophets lied to me, all that. He sees all that stuff. Amen. And in love and in mercy, he will come to you before you get real crazy. Amen. Because, see, people will fall out with God about stuff. Just because I don't have the stuff, he said. It's stuff. I want my stuff. A lot of us don't even know what stuff is. But we know we ain't got something and we supposed to have it. So we want our stuff. And Abraham said, Lord God, what will you give me? Seeing as I'm childless, he says, if you don't do something, God, I'm going to have to leave all this stuff. You see all this stuff you gave me, God? I'm going to have to give it to this heathen that works for me. 
That ain't going to look good on your record. You promised me, and I don't have it. What are you going to do? And God says, Abram said, behold, you, you, verse three, in my house is one is born in my house is my heir. Behold, word of the Lord came to him and said, this shall not be your heir, but one shall come forth from you out of your own bowels. He'll be your heir. And he took him forth abroad and said, now look toward heaven, the stars. That's how many kids you're going to have. And he believed in the Lord again. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Anybody believed again? I know I sure have. You get to wandering around, get disoriented and crazy and stupid and looking at other stuff and thinking about you don't have your stuff yet and boom. But he believed again. See, that's when you get in the word again. That's when you pull your own Bible out again and you help yourself believe God. And you get yourself out of your bad mood, out of your fretful stuff, out of your distraction, looking at something you ain't got no business looking at. You can look at a preacher preach something and get mad at God because you ain't got what he said you're supposed to have. In other words, in verse 7, God says, I'm the same God. I've been with you all this time. I have not changed. So I'm the same one that brought you out and promised you this when I first met you, Abram. I have not changed. And he said to him, uh, and he says, God, whereby am I going to know that I'm going to, where will I, how will I know this? I want to know. Show me something. Give me some. Tell me some. Find me some. I want to know. There's nothing wrong with wanting to strengthen weak faith. Now see, we look at the Abraham in, in Romans chapter 4. Staggered not at the promise of God. He's strong in faith. Huh? And we look at that and we think that ain't us. But we look at this and we ought to see that is us. We're on our way to becoming what he was in Romans chapter 4. Amen? And we're going to get there. Because if he could get there under that covenant, we can definitely get there under ours. So God begins to have Abram prepare the the uh, uh, elements for the sacrifice. He puts him into a deep sleep. In verse 18, it says, And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto your seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt to the Euphrates and all those people in between. Amen. In chapter 16, we see Abram, and and this was not his idea, and this is what you got to understand. Now that Sarah has influence or equal footing almost in the eyes of God. She's able to influence Abram and and she begins to get nervous. She's never had any children. She has given up hope that she can. And out of her hopelessness, Ishmael is born. It's Sarah's idea that Abraham have a child with the maid 
that was very common during that time. They don't have the Ten Commandments that would come later, or more than, than I'm guessing maybe 600 years later perhaps, uh, with Moses bringing the children of Israel out of Egypt. And so they don't understand holiness, fidelity, faithfulness, any of that stuff. Abram just periodically believes God and God accepts that and considers Abram righteous. And so he's able to keep on blessing Abraham, keeping him alive and all the things that are going on good in his life. There are a lot of stuff we don't understand about God, too. But he never leaves us, never forsakes us, keep blessing us, keeps taking care of us. Even when we make mistakes, he continues to take care of us. So why we think he should drop Abram because he's having a baby with somebody that works for his wife. I'm not going to go down that street. You got me? But he still forgives adulterers. He said it wasn't adultery during that time because he didn't have the law. And so she has the baby. It's causing trouble in the household. She kicks her out because Abram talks, um, God talks to Sarah and tells her to, to do what she thinks is best. So she puts Hagar out. They later come back and, and Ishmael begins to be raised in the household and it looks like God's peace has come there temporarily. Amen. Then in, in, and so they experience they're making mistakes before God, God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And this is something that begins to be true throughout their walk with God. If it weren't for God's mercy and forgiveness, they would have no future with him. You know, God doesn't kick you out. I don't care what kind of covenant you have with him. Old covenant, new covenant. He doesn't kick you out because you make a mistake. He doesn't kick you out because you sin. All he wants you to do is acknowledge it. So Abram goes back and worships God again. Amen. And he believes God again and it's counted to him for righteousness. Amen. And so in chapter 17, we see where God begins to do something miraculous with them. And, and this is very, very important to understand. And I call this conversion. See, he has a blood covenant with Abram now where he, Abram knows that this is something that will go on from generation to generation because God tells Abram, he said, I'm going to get this established. He, he asked him, I said, how will I know? I want to know this. When, when Abram wants the knowing what shows up that hadn't showed up before. It was the blood. God said, go get some sacrifices. This was a God-commanded sacrifice. When Abraham built an altar to the Lord, it didn't say anything what he sacrificed on that altar. When he was in the Chaldees, they did incense. You got me? No shedding of blood. God, God had in mind... To allow Abraham to continue with him just by believing in him. But we know that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the earth. So that promised blood was always shed. 
It was just done so in a in a promise. And so God begins to act out what he knows has already been established. When Abram sees that blood, he begins to understand that this is the same God of Adam. This is the same God of Noah. This is the same God of the older patriarchs. Amen. And so Abraham sees that blood. And that blood is what gives you a knowing. It's what gives me a knowing. How do you know you're saved? If you're saved, nobody can talk you out of it. How do you know that? The blood is what gives the knowing. Because it's the oath that strengthens the promise. Up until now, Abraham was living off promise. That's why he made so many mistakes. You, he had to walk with God for some years before the oath was offered. What the oath says is, Abram, you know what? Before you, before now, you've been on testers. You've been on a maybe. You don't know how many men were walking around in that time that had relationship with God that he was testing them too. It's like when people look at Mary and we think she's the only one. You don't know that. There's a lot of teenage girls running around Jerusalem at that time that may have been under consideration. But she was the only one who relinquished her life. Huh? How many engaged girls might have had that call? And when God says you're going to have a bad, mm, not me, uh-uh, no, I don't know who it is. I rebuke you, Satan. Get out of my house. You understand what I'm saying? You don't know how many people are under consideration. God's no respecter of persons. He's going to accept whoever meets his conditions. We just know the man who met God's conditions. You got me? And that was Abram. And so here God offers him the oath. And that says, Abram, you are my final pick out of all the king contestants out here or the ruler contestants out here. You're my pick. So he finally makes his name great. How does he make Abram's name great? Through adding his name to his. Come on, y'all. Abraham. What God is saying is, I'm not taking away from who you are. You're still Abram, but you got an H added to. You my Abram. Huh? You my Abraham. Uh Uh-huh. In other words, you keep your money, you keep your cattle, you keep your wife, you keep all, because that's Abram's stuff, but I'm anti to it. So you my Abram, you my boy. Huh? He said, not just you, but I'm going to add it to your wife too. I'm making her name great. I'm making her much bigger than what she's ever been. I'm making her important. I'm calling her the mother of nations. I'm calling you. He said, you used to be the father of many, but I think I'm going to change that. I'm going to up the ante on that, Abram. Huh? 
you get a call and a raise, as they say in poker. I don't know what else I'm out of, I'm out of stuff. To. But a call is what you already have on the table. You got Abram on the table with his cattle, his money, his servants, all his stuff. But I'm going to raise you. Amen. God always raises you from where you were. Every interaction you have with God, he raises you from what you were the last time you talked to him. You get an increase. Every, all these people prophesying that God isn't going to increase. He already increased. Because I just talked to him this morning. And I'm bigger than I was the last time I spoke to him. Every interaction you have with God is an increase. So he raises Abraham above what he was before. Amen. It says in verse 17, 1, when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am the almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Now, this is the first time. Now, when Abraham uh, rebuked the king of Sodom and said, I, I'm, I have sworn my hand to the possessor of heaven and earth. How did he know how to call God that? Anybody want to give a wild guess? Because he promised Abraham that. How can you promise somebody something you don't have? He said, I'm going to make your name great above the whole earth. Everybody on the earth is going to be blessed because of you. How can you promise him that if you don't own it? So Abram knew who he was talking to. He said, this God that I talked to possesses heaven and earth and you too. I don't need your stinking money. I don't need nothing you got. Next time somebody tries to put you down because they turn your credit down, you tell, listen, I serve the possessor of heaven and earth. I don't need nothing you got. Take you and your fake application too. You might have to take it out of the garbage can and press it out and send it back, but so be it. (laughs) But he ain't in charge of what you get. Are you kidding me? So when Abram said, I'm talking to the God who possesses, who owns heaven and earth, and God validates that later in the Psalms, the cattle on a thousand hills belongs to me. He said, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. I got everything I need. Amen. So that's how Abram had known God thus far. Because God told him that he would be the possessor, the heir of everybody on the earth. He told Abram that way back then. Now, Abram, he God introduces himself as almighty God. So El Elyon is the possessor of heaven and earth. This is El Shaddai. And we know that God is more than enough. But actually, that word can be translated as the God who has his hand on everything. I got my hand on you. I got my hand on land. I got my hand on the stars, the earth, everything. My hand is in everything. So he says, when you walk before me, act right. Talk right. Understand me. I'm going to be closer to you now than I have ever been. 
That's how Abraham could stagger not at the promise of God. God got closer to him and he had his hand in everything. So when Abraham looked up at the stars, he saw his descendants. When he looked down at the sand, he saw his descendants. When he got up in the morning, he built an altar and thought about God and what he said. In other words, he was more God-minded now than he had ever been. Why? Because he had a blood oath. The blood keeps God on your mind all the time. Amen? That's how you can get keep your mind stayed on the Lord. Amen? Because of the blood. You got an oath. He keeps, he stays on your mind all the time. I will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is what? Cause he trusts you. It's not, well, you mean to tell me I can't think about you missed the whole point. Why would you want to think about anything else but the goodness of God? What does this world out here have to offer you that God can't? He's got his hand in everything. Why would you focus on something other than him if he got his hand in everything? He's got his hand in your health. He's got his hand in your pocketbook. He's got a hand in your your well-being, your peace of mind. So we've got an oath added to this covenant, a blood oath. Mistakes and forgiveness comes in the chapter after the blood oath. Amen? So even after God has shed blood and promised him and made an oath and guaranteed it, the oath is a guarantee because he could swear by no higher. He swore by himself, possessor of heaven and earth, and then has his hand in everything. So because he has his hand in everything, Abraham gets kind of an assurance, I won't make so many mistakes now. God said, walk before me. He never requires anything of us we can't do. He says, just, just stay, stay with me, Abram. I'm being, I'm gonna be closer to you now than I ever was. So God has yielded a better covenant with Abraham because Abraham don't give up. Amen. He introduces him as self now as the one who has his hand in everything. In in that word, be thou perfect means give yourself over wholly to me. What did God say about 2021? Total surrender would yield greater power. Amen. God wants us to surrender everything. Amen. The reason we struggle is we haven't surrendered stuff. We're still trying to manage everything. Amen. So God adds his name to their name. Abram, they call Abram, he called him Abram. Oh no, I've changed. My name is different. I'm Abraham now. Huh? And he said, not just a father of many, but a father of many nations. In other words, my seed are going to live forever. My descendants are going to be around forever. I'm going to have people on this earth who are mine forever, my descendants. And we know that now. Before it was the Jews, now it's the Christians and the Jews. We are blessed with Abraham. He is our father in the faith. Amen? He's a faith man. And if we're faith people, that makes us his seed. Amen? And heirs. 
We have everything he has. You want your name great? God will do it, but you got to relinquish pride in your name. Huh? What do you want your name great for anyway? Just, just saying. What are you doing that's so great? You better try and live for the great one. Amen. I know that's right. <laughs> but this is kind of interesting the way God talks to him now. It says here in verse 2, I'll make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying this. As for me, behold, my covenant is with you. Now, he said this before, but he says this is the difference. And you shall be a father of many nations. Neither shall your name anymore be Abram, but Abraham, for a father of many nations I have made you. I will make you exceeding fruitful. Nations will come and kings, and I'll establish my covenant between me and you and after you for many generations an everlasting covenant. And I'll give these things to you. But he says, I'll make my covenant with you. Amen. And he says, you are the father of many nations. Amen. He says, when your name changes, that's when you become that automatically. So the terminology in the language, the tense in the verb changes. He says, a father of many nations, I have made you. Not I'm going to anymore, but the blood means you have it already. The blood means I've done it already. The blood means you're not on trial. You're not being tested so much anymore. Just walk with me and follow me because I've done this already. In other words, I've made up my mind about you, Abram. I've established this in you already. In times before, God says, I'm going to do it. But he was testing him. Now, test is over. I've done it. You're in it. You're on your way to being it. 100%. Not because of you, but because of me. I've added myself in a big way into your life. And this is going to happen to you. Amen. And he reiterates the promise. I'm going to give you all of these things. I've established my covenant. He says, not just you, but he says, if you'll do this, uh, he said, if you accept this, you're going to have to go further and circumcise yourself and everybody in your household. And he says in verse 7, 15, and as for uh, Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall her name, and I'll bless her, give you a son out of her. And Abram fell on his face and laughed and, and thought it was a joke. But God was serious. Amen. He says in verse 21, but my covenant will I establish with Isaac, your laughing child, which Sarah is going to have this time next year. And he left talking to Abram. And Abram went and circumcised everybody in the house. And after that, it was a done deal. Amen. After Abraham was obedient with the circumcision. This is something that had never been done before. Amen. Now it probably was done in some tribes, but it wasn't done to with before El Shaddai. So it wasn't a covenant with El Shaddai until this time. But in, in, in Romans chapter four, 
God says that he called Abraham, he called those things that be not as though they are because of the blood oath. Because of the blood oath, you call yourself healed while you still have symptoms in your body. You call those things, you call yourself wealthy before you ever have a penny. You call yourself whole and not disturbed in any way because of the blood oath. So when Abraham matched God with a token, what he says that, God, I'm taking your word. That's what walk before me and be thou perfect means. That's what it meant to Abram. It meant you give me a token. I've given you this blood and I've sworn everything to you. Now you show me that you believe me by the token of circumcision. Amen. And this is how he was able to walk before God and be perfect. He did his part under the blood. God had done his part already under the blood. And so Abraham was able to walk in that perfection of God that carried him beyond. That's how he didn't stagger at the promise of God. It was a blood thing. God shed blood and Abram shed blood. Amen. Now with with Jesus, he shed blood in our place. He shed it as God and he shed it as man. Amen. And thus he made a covenant with himself on our behalf. So we don't have to do anything except yes and follow him. And keep worshiping and keep believing and keep thanking God for everything that he's done for us and will do. So we are receivers of this same covenant that Abraham had. And they believed God and judged him faithful. They said, look at all he's done for us. I'm sure in the Abraham's household, that conversation changed. It was not about Ishmael and how rotten he is. And I wish him and his mama would go out. They left. When the blood came into that household, Hagar and Ishmael left. Only legitimate heirs were now in this household. Amen. And so God changed everything about them. That's how they were. That's part of why they were able to walk before him and be perfect. Because he had a blood of, they were keeping the blood covenant. Every time Abraham took his clothes off, he remembered God promised. Every time he looked up, he remembered God promised. Every time he looked down everywhere, he saw El Shaddai. He said, I got my hand in everything. And everywhere you look, you see me. That's how he believed God and didn't waver and didn't stagger. Even though he was past age and his wife was past age and had never conceived, he didn't stagger. Because El Shaddai had come to God, had his hand in everything. And everywhere Abraham looked, he saw God's promise to him. We can live the same way, folks. You meditate on the word day and night. You don't take your eyes away from it, your heart away from it, anything like that. You stay faithful and the promises will be easy because you'll see God everywhere. You'll see him working on your behalf. You'll see him helping you. You'll start to get glimpses of behind the scenes what he's doing for you. You'll see it all. The blood promises you will see it all. Everything he's promised you, you'll see it. Without fail. Because he cannot 
violate. He can't lie to himself. He promised himself he's going to do it. Say nothing of what he's promised. He promised himself. So even when we're faithless, he is faithful. He can't deny he promised it. He'll make sure that we receive it. Amen. Why? Because of the blood. Is the oath and the promise. And he's a faithful God. Amen. Why don't we stop? Father, we thank you for what you have done. Thank you, Lord, for understanding. Bless the Lord. Amen. He's worthy. Amen. Amen. We might as well praise him. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We bless the God of heaven and earth. We bless El Elyon, the possessor of all things. So we don't have to worry about possession. You don't have to worry about your stuff. He's already given it to you. An oath and a promise. His hands in everything. He's got his hand on everything that we have concerns about. There's nothing being restricted to us. The only, you're only limited by what you can believe and how close you can follow after him. And trust me, if you know he's got your stuff, you follow hard after God. Know <laughs> what the scripture said? Hey, my, my soul or my spirit follows hard after you. Amen. That's right. You're running him down so that his blessings can run you down. Amen. All right. Why don't we do our confession? Father in heaven, we thank you that we are, are healed and we're saved. By the confession of our word and the decree of heaven, I don't have Rona and she don't have me. I can't get Rona and she can't get me. And I thank you, possessor of heaven and earth, that I am your heir and I lack nothing. And I thank you, Lord El Shaddai. That you have your hand in everything that goes on in my life. And your hand is on me for nothing but good. And we thank you, Lord, that this is your decree from heaven. So be it. Amen and amen and amen. It's so decreed. Amen. Praise God. Amen.